Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 225. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Venom Let There Be Carnage, directed by Andy Serkis and written by Kelly Marcel. And before we begin our spoiler review of Venom Let There Be Carnage, just want to let you know where you can hear me talk even more about the film, or at least the box office success, the early box office success of Venom Let There Be Carnage. That's on Fanshow Plus, where I'm also going to be talking about the box office success, the latest milestones for Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings in its home release, as well as the settlement in the lawsuit between Disney and Scarlett Johansson. If you want to access Fanshow Plus, it is available to premium subscribers at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, or just hit the link in our show notes. It's also available on Apple Podcasts. If you search for the MCU Fanshow channel on Apple Podcasts, or just search for Fanshow Plus on Apple Podcasts, you will see the premium subscription option so that you will have access to those episodes. There are several that are already available now, and we add another one each week. And then make sure you are following us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much to everyone who's already taken the time to leave their rating and review. We really appreciate it. And now, on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? Well, I mean, behind yeah. the, I already know. Behind the scenes, this is being recorded right after episode 224. That's true. That is. I'm I'm really well. Uh, my my daughter is uh, acting up, and I'm, I'm getting a lot of stank eye from my wife. But besides that, we just watched a movie. Well, not we. She didn't watch it. I watched it with our buddy Chris Clow yesterday. And I am very much looking forward to talking about Venom. Let there be carnage. I am looking forward to this as well, and I think maybe some of you might be looking forward to listening to this. I mean, you look forward to enough to listen to this point. You started the podcast. Hopefully, you'll continue on, and I think this is one that maybe people who've been listening to the podcast for a few years might be a little curious about because um, they might remember that I was not a very big fan of the first Venom film. And you weren't necessarily over the moon about it, but you definitely liked it more than I did. We did a commentary track for it a couple years ago, and that was actually the last time that I had seen Venom until I, I did a rewatch in advance of Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Not that I felt like I absolutely needed to. I, I would be fine to remember enough to understand what's going on in Venom, Let There Be Carnage, but nevertheless just felt like might as well go ahead and do a rewatch. And, and of course, this is a spoiler review, as the title of the episode said, as well as what I, I said during the intro. So everything is fair game in this, including the already famous slash infamous mid credit scene that we will talk about in this episode, but we will also explore on a deeper level and just be even more thorough and comprehensive about it in a separate episode of MCU fan show because obviously the potential implications of that mid credit scene are massive, but we need to save that for the end of the podcast because that was the end of the movie. We have a whole movie that happens in front of that that we need to talk about. And I will just say up front, because this might be one of the biggest surprises about this podcast or in this spoiler review, I liked Venom Let There Be Carnage. 
And that may be something that uh, some people weren't expecting because of how down I was on the first Venom. But I would also say that maybe it shouldn't be that surprising because for people who listen to Patreon credit scenes before we transition things over to Fan Show Plus and we were talking about Venom Let There Be Carnage trailers, I felt like this movie had the potential to be a lot better than the first film or at least I would like it more than the first film because it felt like it was much more consistent and leaning into the things that did work in the first film that it just didn't do enough of. The first movie, I still feel like, is a film that is at war with itself over what exactly it's trying to be, and not everybody agreeing that they're trying to make the same movie or what the best version of that movie would be. Everyone seems to be much, much, much more on the same page in Venom, Let There Be Carnage. It is B-movie horror comedy that, yes, it's cheesy, it's campy, it's a lot of those things, but that's not necessarily bad. I'm not trying to make the case that this is like the greatest comic book movie of all time or it's an instant classic, but that's not what every movie has to be. Like What this movie is trying to accomplish, I, I think, is a valid pursuit based on this particular set of characters, and I feel like Venom Let There Be Carnage, for the most part, hits exactly what it's aiming for. It, it does, Sean. I, I, to be out, just to throw it out there, I, re, I really like this movie. And for those who remember my previous uh, Venom experience, I liked it for a lot of it for ironic reasons. It felt very much, and I think I love my own analogy of this, Sean. I always will. It felt like a an old '80s canon film had a in in a, in a trauma movie had a baby and it's Venom. Um, that's what it felt like to me. Uh, but I will say this: I I like everything that Tom Hardy and, and the Venom character were together. Now, vastly different than the comic book counterpart, and I. I don't begrudge it against that by any means. The Venom character has gone through different, I want to say iterations, but he's definitely developed over time from a villain to an anti-hero to, you know, whatever. Right. And so, and, and other people have donned the costume because people, they just try to make Venom more interesting of a character because he's kind of a one note, you know, at that time they both as hated Spider-Man and that was the, the, basis of the character and you can't really make a character very interesting and when they try to make it more interesting it just became you know one note and that's why he had a hard time for a longest time supporting his own book i mean not danny cates and everything was standing i say all that to say that i think the the characterization of eddie brock in this universe with uh tom hardy playing him is a much more fun entertaining interesting character than what we get in the comic books now I love that Venom character. They're vastly different, but I like him for different reasons. I just prefer it for the film, at least at this part. And the first movie does a great job of bringing out this different iteration of Venom, but going off the idea that there, this inner monologue that only Eddie can hear, that is turned out to 11 in Let There Be Carnage, and mm -hmm. it's all the better for it. And just like you said, Sean, this movie knew exactly what it wanted to do this time, and I, I don't remember off the hand, and you could tell me if I'm wrong here, but was Tom Hardy a producer in the last film and also a story credit of the first movie? 
I don't know if he officially has a story credit. He does on this one. The screenplay yes. credit is just uh, Kelly Marshall, but uh, it's Kelly Marshall and Tom Hardy who have uh, story credits on this one. I'm trying to remember if he has a story credit on uh, on the first one. He might be a producer. I mean, that would sort of uh, that would, would sort of track, that would right? sort of make yeah. sense. But it's interesting. I was uh, not too long ago. I, w- I was listening to an episode of Script Notes that Kelly Marcel was on. And she just talked, I mean, she has collaborated with Tom Hardy quite a bit over the course of his career. And and she just kind of mentioned that, you know, whether it's official or not, there's always sort of an unofficial writing credit with Tom Hardy because like he's so, yeah, he's so involved, you know, creatively and in the characters that he portrays and, and, you know, ultimately shaping what they're going to be. I mean, as actors tend to be, but yeah, that's something that, you know, Tom Hardy plays a very active role in. And that's something about, you know, the that creative partnership that Kelly Marcel and, and uh, Tom Hardy have both uh, enjoyed together. And so as far as, you know, whether or not he gets this or that credit, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but, uh, but regardless, like he is a creative force behind this, but I, I think what was different this time around is maybe with the first one, not everybody knew going into it, what it was going to be. But as they were making it, I feel like Tom Hardy kind of figured out what he wanted it to be and Mm -hmm. was leaning in that direction. And maybe not everybody else involved was uh, headed that way. But when they had the director search for Andy Serkis that ultimately, you know, resulted in them hiring Andy Serkis, this time everybody went into it and they, they went and got a director who believed in what this franchise needed to be and, and therefore what this specific film within the franchise needed to be. So I, I think all of that, um, all of that made a difference for me in, in Venom, Let There Be Carnage, you know, like the back and forth between, uh, you know, the arguments between Venom and Eddie Brock and the relationship between the two of them sharing a body was awesome. Like that was a part that, mm-hmm that was one of the better, more entertaining parts of the first film. And we get a ton of that in this. And I like that they made this in some ways, like a, a a bromantic comedy between Eddie Brock and the symbiote. Like that made sense to me for these two characters who, they bonded over both being losers in the first film. And now things get a little bit more complicated because maybe they don't feel as much like losers anymore. Like Eddie Brock starts to win again, thanks to Venom. But you see these characters, you know, now as Eddie Brock, you know, isn't quite so down in the dumps, like he wants to move forward and live his life and sees Venom as being in the way of that. Meanwhile, Venom is feeling like, well, the only reason you feel like you're good enough to move on without me is because I've been here this whole time and you're not giving me proper credit for it. Uh, and you're not feeding me the brains I feel I've earned, especially bad guy brains. So, like, oh my God. as ridiculous as that argument, you know, as some of those arguments are, and, and as hilarious as, like, the insults are back and forth, although it's not as much back and forth. Venom's clearly winning in these most of these verbal jousts against Eddie Brock. But there's character in that. Like, there is something about that that is, in its own weird way, sort of endearing. And one of the things that, uh, one of the feelings I, I had watching this, Paul, and, and I wonder if, um, I, I don't know if it would have occurred to you as you were watching it, or if it's maybe something that at least, you know, tracks now, but like, there was a certain irony that I felt as I was watching this, because if you go back in like the history of Venom in live action, you go to Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3, 
And, uh, you know, famously, Sam Raimi wasn't the biggest fan of Venom and, and wasn't really uh, wasn't really into the idea of including the character in the franchise at any point, but certainly not Spider-Man 3, but ultimately went with it. The studio wanted Venom because Venom was very popular and a lot of fans wanted Venom. So that was the direction it went in Spider-Man 3. And ultimately, you know, creatively, it didn't work out financially. I guess it was okay. But what was uh, ironic about watching this is I felt like if this sort of storytelling had existed for Venom prior to Spider-Man 3, then maybe Sam Raimi would have been more into it because this actually plays somewhat like a Sam Raimi movie. Like, mm. tonally, there is some evil dead in this that Andy Serkis mm. and, and Tom Hardy and Kelly Marshall that they're all going for. Um, and, and that's not to say, like, you know, for people who are massive evil dead fans, I'm not trying to say that this movie is as good as uh, Evil Dead 1 or 2, um, but... It's certainly playing in some of that genre territory. And, uh, you know, so that's where, like, maybe it's, it's not like Venom from the comic books. But, look, Venom hasn't been, and particularly the Eddie Brock version of Venom, there's a reason they didn't stick with Eddie Brock. And there's the re there's a reason the symbiote yes. has been passed around from one character to the other because Eddie Brock in the comic books is not that deep. And so, especially he didn't start out that way. So in order to really make this uh, a, a cinematic character that you would want to watch an entire movie about, especially two movies uh, in which Spider-Man is not in either one, but for a mid credit scene in this one. So if you're going to give Venom his own story, which you can certainly question whether or not you should do that, but if you are going to, you do need to do some things differently and, and you do need to kind of beef up the story and, and the character and give it an identity that makes sense for this character, even if it's not necessarily what you would expect from the comic books. And plus, most of the people who are going to watch this haven't really seen that much of the yeah. character, either haven't read a, the uh, comic book with the character or haven't read very much of it. So it, it doesn't really, you know, you're, you are building this thing out for a new audience. And I think what they've chosen to do with the Venom franchise I think it works for this character and there is something yep. about it that audiences are responding to. Like the first movie, I didn't love it and, and critics didn't like it either, but you know what? I can't take anything away from its financial success and audiences are showing up again for this one. So there is something about this, whether you just want to say that, that people love uh, junk food and so they like it for, you know, junk food movies too, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I, I think there's something about this that audiences that are at least finding entertaining and worth coming back right. to um, because here they are again in, in, in a big way for this movie. And I think it's because they like what this movie is trying to do and they mm. they are ready and willing to accept and enjoy and be enter and be entertained by this movie on its own terms. Right. But I think why Tom Hardy is, is the reason. He's the heart and soul of this movie. And I say Venom, he is Venom. He knows exactly, he's such a great performer and artist that he understands what he's in. And I always love how you explain that in the first our first review, Sean, is that Tom Hardy is just new. He's the only one who knew what movie he was in. Mm -hmm. And he went for it. And look what's happened. And I think what's really awesome when I brought up the whole idea was he's a producer because when I was watching the credits, I saw producer that tracks then i saw he got a story credit i'm like okay that makes a lot more sense because now i don't because i don't think he had a story credit in the last one as far as when he came in you know it was already written and all that stuff i'm sure he, he obviously you know 
had an ideas were ad lib things and things like that. But it seems like now he knew where to take the, the character tonally and direct as far as direction wise. And I think what you're right, Sean, that this, for whatever reason, this iteration of Eddie Brock and Venom connects to people because that whole idea of a bromance in the first one, it's more of like, we're in this together and there's some fun stuff. But this one, again, like I said, it amplifies it to 11 and it's so much fun to watch. Like it's hilarious seeing Tom Hardy and Venom interact with each other and you just want more of it. And I think it it's highlighted in the movie itself when we talk about, you know, why do they take Venom, you know, off of the symbiote off of Eddie Brock in the comic books is because he wasn't that great of a character and they needed to give some more umph to Venom because they had done everything with Venom at that point. And they couldn't just bring him back to be a villain. They tried that, and it just wasn't, you know, it just wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. They built him. He, they built him up to be the lethal protector, which they can bring up in this movie. And they, so what they do is they bring him up, you know, in the comic books, they make him be the scorpion, you know, at some point. That that character gets the Venom costume for a long time, and then you know, they eventually goes back to Venom and, and whatever, it go, or it goes to Flash Thompson, and then it goes back to Venom, you know, Eddie Brock. Well, in this, they go at it to a point where they say, "Hey, everyone." This is what happens when you separate these two characters. It doesn't work for both of them. There is something missing. And it's highlighted in the movie. It's one of my favorite parts of the movie is that Venom himself, the symbiote, is like trying to do its own thing. And he just can't find something that is its right connection. And that's what I love about this movie so much is that it's about finding the right connection, even though it's not perfect. It Sometimes it's just right. It's, I always say things like baby bear. Sean, like to me, it's like, you know, you, you know, it, it, it's just right. And that's what it is about Venom and Eddie Brock is that their connection is more than just, at least in the story, you know, they need each other. Venom needs Eddie Brock because he's the only one that understands and just gets him on an emotional and superficial level. So I loved all of that. And to me, that was the heart of the story. And that's what worked. And then that to me is what people connected to. And that's what people loved. That's what, to me. I got, got the the biggest reactions out of everything. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and look, I think there's something to be said for knowing exactly what you're going for, exactly what you're trying to be. And, and uh, Tom Hardy for the record, he does, he does have an executive producer credit on the first film, but I don't think it's just about what credits you get. I think it's more about the, collaborative partnership amongst everybody who has creative input on this movie. And, and yeah. I think they, they were smart in being able to look at the first movie and understand that, yes, it made a lot of money and audiences responded to it. So something about this worked, not everything, because you can tell by looking at it that not everything worked. Something about this worked and clicked with audiences. What was it? And they correctly identified what that was and explored that on a deeper level in this movie and just expanded on that in this movie, which was the right thing to do. Now, that's not to say, as I said before, like it's not to say this is a perfect movie. There are some flaws that we will, of course, point out, but I definitely disagree with the idea that this is some terrible movie or that it's as bad as the first movie. Um, As somebody who really doesn't like the first movie, I can say that this was a huge improvement for me. I mean, granted, there was ample room for improvement. It was a low bar to clear, um, but I still, I, 
it's not just I thought this was... I didn't enjoy this in the sense that, well, it wasn't as bad as the first one, thankfully. No, I, I legitimately had a good time watching this movie and enjoyed it. There are some things that you know I didn't totally love, like to go through some of the actual story beats where this opens with uh, the flashback of St. Estes and... We have uh, Cletus Cassidy and, and we have uh, Shriek. And like it was a weird decision to have a guy play a young version of Woody Harrelson, but then have Woody Harrelson dub the voice. I was like, oh, this looks cheesy and bad. Um, and not in the way that's like intentional with like throughout the rest of the movie. So that part I was like, eh, I didn't love. Um, I did find the character of Shriek a little confusing in this movie. There's the moment at the beginning of this, the young version of the character who's being taken away from St. Esther to go to Ravencroft. And we, you know, at first she's, you know, playing the part of like the scared kid who's being taken away. But then when she's like inside the armored vehicle, all of a sudden she flips the switch and she's supposed to be menacing, being like any last words for Mulligan, who ends up being, you know, the detective we see throughout this, uh, throughout this film. That part, I was like, I just, uh, I don't know. And then, skipping way forward to the very end, like when she has the moment of being like, this is too far when Carnage is about to kill Anne, like that doesn't make any sense because like she's the one who kidnapped her. Like that doesn't make any sense. Uh, So the character is like soft and menacing just based on whatever the scene wants or needs at the time. Most of the time it's, it's menacing. And I think that's actually when the character is working a lot better for me. There's nothing performance wise that I was having a problem with. It's, It's just... I don't know what it is between the writing, the direction or the editing with this character where she was just kind of, she was a little all over the place at, at times uh, in the movie. So that's, that is one of my criticisms is some of these moments mm-hmm. with the character of, uh, of shriek um, that didn't totally sync up. And yeah, and that, that started here in this opening scene. And as I said, uh, the, the confusing choice to that, to make sure that it had to be Woody Harrelson's voice and do the whole dub effect. Yeah, that was that was a strange choice. Personally, I I would agree with that. Um, Shriek was interesting. Uh, she wasn't my one of my more favorite aspects of the movie. Like you, she was a little confusing. I don't know. I, she just I I don't really liked. I'm a purist a little bit with, with this one because Shriek in the comic books was introduced while Cletus Cass- Cassidy was already Carnage, right? Mm-hmm. Um and which, by the way, you know, it's again, I haven't read Maximum Carnage in a long time. I haven't read a comic with Shriek in it in a long, long time. I think last time I think she showed up was, um, I think, a Carnage miniseries where he like took over a farm or something. Anyway, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it's it's it was a while ago. Yeah. She hasn't shown up that much. And But I'm like, I don't think she has a Sonic. Like, she's not like, you know, a Banshee or Siren from the X-Men or something. Mm-hmm. You know, I always thought she had to have like, you know electric powers with, with her hands. So I thought that was really kind of a strange deviation. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but I'm like, I don't remember her having like this, like her, her name shriek, but I didn't think she had like a sonic mouth. Maybe I'm wrong. Am I wrong on this? Um, I, I mean, the name certainly implies what the superpower ought to be. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty sure shriek was, you know, sonic powered, but what was also interesting is how they sidestepped the point that she's a mutant in this. Um, yeah, they they had her say that she was being moved to, you know, being moved away from St. Estes because she had a, you know, her mutations were progressing or something like that. So they didn't have her say the word mutant. They just referred to her mutations. And 
I found that a little bit interesting in this because obviously there is some partnership here between Sony and Marvel Studios and certainly, although I guess there are limits to that partnership because Marvel Studios at this point, they own mutants. They can say the word mutants and that also means they could, if they wanted to, authorize Sony to have the word mutant be spoken aloud, but it seems like maybe they didn't do that. And I don't think that is, uh, before anyone goes and, and says that that's corporate pettiness going on there, I wouldn't necessarily consider it petty. I mean, I understand what's happening in the mid credit scene, and, and now you're kind of merging this somehow, some way, uh, you know, to be determined of exactly how it all fits. But you're putting this up against and, and alongside or just right in there with the Marvel Cinematic Universe by the end of it. And so because of that connection, you could say that if a character in this universe, in this film, says the word mutant, then it almost counts as that being the first time the word mutant is spoken in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And you don't want to give Sony that space. Or certainly not in Venom, Let There Be Carnage. So I could understand why, even though the possibilities were there, the opportunity was there for maybe Marvel Studios to allow that, I could understand why they didn't. And even using the word mutation, and I guess that's a thing that technically Sony might be allowed to do, but it also feels like the sort of thing that maybe was done with Marvel's blessing. I, I don't really know. But in any event, like it's it's nothing against Naomi Harris as an actor in this, who I thought was entertaining, especially when she was uh, more like the the menacing side of, of Shriek in, in this that I enjoyed. Um, but either way, I mean, it, it was a good setup for you know, the backstory of Shriek and the backstory of, of Cletus Cassidy. I, I was fine with that. And then catching up with um, Eddie Brock and, and Venom in the present day, which I, I think we've already kind of gone over, but just their state of living with Sonny and Cher, the two chickens that they're living with that were supposed to be food for Venom, oh but he, he can't bring himself to eat them. And, um, you know, peanut M&Ms all over the floor because for Venom, it's just human brains or chocolate are the only things that really uh, seem to work for him. And uh, but just having that whole back and forth between these two characters, as I said, like it was entertaining. And I, I found myself like laughing out loud, not at the film, but at like intentional jokes uh, with the back and forth between those characters that, you know, it was it was working. And, and it felt like, I don't know, even Tom Hardy as an actor, like I, I thought he did a great job in the first movie, like doing the best he could to, to make the most out of a, a not so great situation with that film. Even his performance felt more like liberated in this one, even like he didn't quite seem as burdened with, you know, whatever was going on in the first movie. And, and that's not me trying to say that there was like drama on the first movie. I don't know if there was, or there wasn't, but in watching the movie, it doesn't play like everybody was on the same page. Here it does, and so it just feels like Tom Hardy has a, a certain sense of freedom that maybe he didn't have throughout all of the first film. He's got it all here, and that's a credit also to Andy Serkis as a director to uh, to see what was good about Tom Hardy in the first movie and just saying, like, just letting Tom run with this because, I mean, I think Tom Hardy, as a lot of people do, he's one of the best out there. Like, he hasn't necessarily had the mainstream career that a lot of people thought he would, you go back a decade ago or almost a decade ago. Well, a little more than that. Like I, I think obviously a lot of people will put on notice in inception 
And then you go through, of course, Bane and Dark Knight Rises. And I know he's done a lot of stuff besides that. I mean, Warrior, he's brilliant in, in that movie. And he's just been this, you know, someone who everybody kind of knows is just a really great actor, but we haven't necessarily seen him. Um, certainly, I, I always felt like he was destined to find his way back to this genre at some point. I wouldn't have necessarily predicted Venom, but now you, you talked about the perfect match, Paul. And, you know, that was it was starting to become apparent in the first movie, but if you mm. if you weren't sold on it in the first movie, I know some of you still aren't sold on it after two movies. But uh, certainly for me, like I was, I was happy enough with what we got in from Tom Hardy in the first movie, even though I didn't like the film overall. But to see him just being able to step out completely in this and just fully inhabit this space um, in such a you know an unabashed way, like I that was probably the most enjoyable part of the film as it, of course it really should be. Yeah, this was seeing them together and seeing Tom Hardy and Tom Hardy is, is obviously the driving force of all of this. And I agree with you, Sean, it felt, and again, I, that's why I brought the, again, the credit seat uh, um, at the very end when, when he had a story credit, it felt he, there's something with this and I'm not, and I think it's probably a combination of, he probably helped pick the director or had a say and help, you know, you know, picking Andy Serkis. Um, and, and let's be real here too. Like Andy Serkis is a obviously top notch CGI performer that goes without saying, we all know that the guy mm -hmm. knows what he's doing and he's obviously cutting his teeth on, you know, films before this. And, you know, obviously Venom is kind of cutting his own teeth, trying to get, you know, his name out there. Uh, but let's not forget dude can act like dude's a solid actor himself. Mm -hmm. And I think what's really cool about that is that maybe that's where I think Tom felt more comfortable maybe with Andy in this and as a director, because, you know, he was not saying he didn't respect the first director, but there is that mutual respect of, you know, what, what, what I'm going through in front of the camera. Exactly. And I respect the work right. you do, um, not just from a you know CGI standpoint, but there is that, you know, that you're comfortable and you can even see in the, uh, I haven't watched all of them, but you can see in some of the promotional material uh, where like they're doing those like fun, like, you know, we're searching Google, or, you know, whatever those videos and, and all like the media stuff, they're doing it together. And I was, I thought that was very telling to be honest, Sean. And I think that is honestly a big reason why I think you're seeing uh, this Tom Hardy performance even elevated because I feel that Annie and him must have some kind of connection because you see it on the screen just when they're hanging out, like when they're talking, like they enjoy each other. You can see that. And it feels like that's what we're getting. And again, I'm assuming that anyway, because when Andy, you know, to me, I thought he did a phenomenal job, honestly, a phenomenal job being that, that what's, what's be real. This movie, the first movie had a problem with its CGI because it was two dark characters taking on two dark characters right. at night. <laughs> and that was a problem. Now you automatically get a little bit better with that with with Carnage. That, that let's 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 put that out there right away. I disagree. Like I Carnage oh, was okay. actually my CG problem with the movie. I didn't. Oh think, really? Okay. There were some shots of Carnage that I just thought looked straight up bad. I thought that Venom. I thought Venom looked better than Carnage did throughout this entire movie. And I, I would agree with that. Yes. And I think what was better though is when they when they fought. Like it was much yeah. easier to distinguish black and red versus black and dark gray. Yeah. Yeah. And, but with, but see, I'm glad you bring that up too, about even for you, you had some problems with carnage. I think even with a, a red symbiote, 
you're still going to have problems when you have you don't know what's going on and it's hard. I think w- one thing I noticed watching this movie, and I, again, I'm a, I'm giving this to Andy Serkis because I think he knows what he's doing. The CGI just seemed to flow and just seemed to be so much more, I don't say real, but interactive. And I would say that the fight scenes between Car- – and granted, there's only one major fight scene between the two characters. But it, I understood and knew and could follow everything very discreetly, very, very well. And it was a tremendously n- notch up from the previous film. And like, like you said, even you, – you think some of the shots of cars weren't great – you know, I, yeah, I mean, that all being said, I think the fight scenes were better and this flowed better. And then granted, mm-hmm. maybe it's because they, you know, they could learn from the previous film. I don't think it's that simple. I think you have someone with, with any circus's talent that it shows his talent as a director, to be honest. I thought he did a great job. I mean, let's be real. I mean, you're selling a B movie to an, you know, to an A-list audience to, as far as like an aliens, you know, or mainstream audience that you're trying to make money off of. And the first film did really well, you know, just by accident. And let's be real also that China helped a lot of that out. Yeah. Um, and it did well domestically, but worldwide, that's where the real, you know, umph of Venom came in. But now see what the movie's done, you know, over the weekend here. Uh, I'm going to give a lot of credit to, to Hardy, you know, and Woody Harrelson and, and Andy Serkis. Because if a movie's not very good, then people aren't going to go see it, and it's not going to have legs. And this movie is going to have legs, as far as we can tell, you know, at least from on, on Saturday evening as we do this. So, I, you know, for me, all the things with between Venom, you know, and again, Venom, like you said, he looked great. I, just how he interacted with everything in the audience. I, I go to the the scene of the the, the dance scene. The, the whatever you want to call that the nightclub scene right and he has all oh my god which is by the way that's my favorite part of the movie um because i love venom like going out there just just being himself and mm. trying to prove that he didn't need him didn't need eddie and he ended up needing eddie of course i loved it yeah and i loved how uh he has all these glow sticks on him and oh that and, was so awesome like i was and, and yeah, yeah. Dude. I, I understand some people probably like i there's probably oh, some yeah. people listening to us say that's awesome and praising that right now. Um, and, I, and by the way, this is not my way of like arguing with with you, dear listener, who's listening to this on the podcast. Yes. Like, I get it if you don't like it. If you're like, question, like, how could you guys possibly like that? Like, I hated that. I get it. Like, I'm. That's where like I, I'm not as you know. I, I'm not in the the camp where like you know I'm going to viciously defend this movie against people who say, no, it, yes. it still stinks. Like if, if it's not your jam, I totally get it. Like I, I, I do. And so I, I think as far as that sequence goes, I got a kick out of it. It was totally ridiculous, but it completely yes. fit with what this movie is. Mm-hmm. And you know, that, leads me into the direction of, of a topic that we are going to get to in this uh, podcast, but we're, we're not there yet. That's more for when we get to the end of this, um, right. you know, the idea of what this movie is uh, in the first place. But, but yeah, Paul, like when he's, you know, lethal protector out with his mic drop and, oh and everything, God. like I, I'm all about it. And it, and look, it's the perfect representation of their symbiotic relationship. They exactly. literally need each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, and again, so I bring all that up. You know, how does Andy circus, you know, fall into this? Okay. First of all, I want to say that that's CGI Venom with all these glow sticks around him. And there's, and, and I, again, I'm not a CGI director. I don't know anything about this, but 
when you, I, I'm assuming, I'm going all of assumptions here, Sean and audience, but I'm assuming if you work in CGI, you know lighting, placement, all of that stuff, you know it better than anybody. And any circus is a master of, of motion capture, of, of all of that, and knows what's going to look good in lighting And he, because he's worked it for so long. And he's worked, he, he helped, you know, whether you love the Hobbit movies or not, he helped Peter Jackson make those movies. And he, again, he cut a lot of his teeth on that as well. And so I, 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 that scene particularly is great, but I want to point out that that's a CGI, you know, venom with glow sticks around him in a dark room standing out. It just, it looked great. And I just, I sat there thinking like, I can't believe we're getting the scene and it's beautifully performed by Tom Hardy as venom. And it looks, it looks real. Like it looks like a real character. And I think that is going to be maybe one of the, you know, one of the underlining, um, underappreciated things, Sean, that you brought up that venom looked amazing in this throughout the whole movie. And I got to hand it to you, like, or hand it to him. Like they, that scene and how he looked, it was so good. And it was a pivotal scene. Like you said, like he proved that, you know, they need each other. Mm-hmm. And it because of all of that, I just I, I just I look at that scene and go, man, I don't think if Andy Circus isn't directing that scene, and I guess um, maybe for all I know, maybe it was a, you know I'm assuming it wasn't a second unit person, but I'm assuming it's Andy Circus. I don't know if it get you get that that same performance and that same that same feel without the director because you have to have so many things hitting it all at once. And I think having his experience as an actor, as a CGI performer, and all of that all play, pays off in this one pivotal scene. And that to me, I keep going to that scene going, it's so perfect. It's funny. It looks great. It's pivotal to the plot. It's what makes movies great. Honestly, you, cause in a short amount of time, you have to have these important scenes and they have to pay off. If you don't, then your movie sunk. And to me, it pays off. And I think Andy circus is a big reason why of all those different reasons. And yeah, I just, I, I really love what we got from this. And I really hope that, I hope he comes back for a third one and I hope it also elevates him to other things. I, I think he could do great things in like an MCU or DC movie or whatever. Um, I just, I think I'm really happy for the success of for Andy Serkis's sake as a director. Cause I think, I think it definitely is warranted. It's to me, that's the, one of the biggest things of this movie besides Tom Hardy as Venom and having, you know, him kind of lead the way is Andy Serkis is helping him lead that way. I totally agree, and I think you made a really great point about just Andy Serkis being able to help Tom Hardy as an actor. And, you know, I don't know how much performance capture they did in this, but certainly the idea of, you know, inhabiting characters who aren't there and arguments with characters who aren't there and and all of that, like, I mean, first and foremost, I'm sure it helped that Andy Serkis wanted to make the same movie that Tom Hardy did. But then also, there's a lot of experience that Andy Serkis has as an actor, as you pointed out, Paul, that you have to know Tom Hardy could trade off of like, and it's just the kind of thing that Andy Serkis would bring to the table and also being the kind of director who's going to allow the actor to really go for it. And I could imagine, and and maybe they've already spoken about this in interviews. I, I don't know. I haven't followed like the press junket for the movie, but I could see this being a thing that happens like multiple times on different days on set where like, Tom Hardy is is already going pretty hard and already going pretty far as uh, you know as Eddie Brock slash Venom, and then Andy Serkis is like, "Why are you holding back? 
like go even farther with it. Like I could totally see Andy Serkis pr- providing that sort of encouragement to to take what was already great about Tom Hardy and what he was doing with this character and and inspire Tom to you know push it even farther. I could totally see that happening. I don't know if it did or not, but I could see it happening. And you know, I, I think that there was something you know weirdly in its own cheesy uh, B-movie sort of way, you know, sweet about this relationship between Venom and Eddie Brock. And I think the movie did a good job of of showing that. Obviously, it's in a very outlandish, comedic sort of way, but I, I think there is something emotionally at the core. I'm, I'm not saying it's super deep or anything like that, but it's enough to work. It's, it's enough to provide some emotional grounding for the main character of this story. And that's what really works. I mean, if I'm going back into things that that maybe aren't like the best about this movie for me, I thought Woody Harrelson was just, I mean, he's fine as Cletus Cassidy slash Carnage. Like, I didn't think he was amazing. Um, I, I think we've seen, I, I don't think he was bad. Like, I wouldn't say this is a bad performance by Woody Harrelson. And like, he, he failed the movie. I thought he did just fine. I just didn't think that the character of Cletus Cassidy was as interesting as the character could have been. At the same time, I understand the choice of like, we're just talking about carnage here. We're just talking about a bloodthirsty serial killer merging with a bloodthirsty symbiote. So that's it. That That's all we need to do with this character. And so on some level, I kind of appreciated that. Like you mentioned how there's only one fight between Venom and Carnage in the movie mm-hmm. where normally we would see two or three between our our title hero and our, our well, title villain, because Carnage has his name in there too. Mm-hmm. Normally, that's what we would see. But if we saw that in this movie, it would be a half hour longer. We know exactly how it would go. Venom loses that first fight. And then we don't really gain anything from it. And, yes. and I, I also feel like as the movie was going on, Like, I wasn't sure. Like, based on the trailers, I was like, okay, well, they're going to fight at the church, and, you know, Venom's going to do, like, the, oh, shit, that is a red one. I don't want to do this. And so I figured that would be the fight where Venom gets his ass kicked and loses. And then, you know, there has to be a comeback from that. But as I'm watching the movie, I'm like, no, we're gearing towards the end of this. This is going to be the only fight. And I was thinking, but it kind of makes sense, or not even kind of, it, it makes sense because when you have a character like carnage if you bill and, and of course it's not just the, the symbiote it's cletus cassidy is a serial a bloodthirsty serial killer he's not going to let the hero live like if he wins the hero dies i mean obviously in comic books it's different um but in in this realm like it would be the kind of thing where if, if carnage wins that fight then eddie brock slash venom don't survive and so it, it makes more sense that like yeah there's going to be one showdown it's winner take all and that just so happens to be Venom. And what I also appreciated by it is I, I felt like whether this was the intention or not, the effect is it answered what was one of the, not that they were listening to or cared about my criticism, specifically about the movie, but one of the things I, I thought was flawed about, among the many things I thought were flawed about the first movie, is I felt the first movie what held it back is it was trying too hard to stick to the typical three-act origin movie structure. And so that was the part that I, I wasn't necessarily in love with and, and 
you know, this one, like, it cuts all of that out. It's not worried about fitting into the plot conventions that we normally expect of comic book superhero slash supervillain antihero lethal protector type of movies. This one was, like, all killer, no filler. Like, we're going straight through for 90 minutes. And that's why even when I heard about the runtime for this movie... For some weird like reason, people have like let over the past I don't know decade or two, people have really latched onto runtimes for some reason as as if it gives any indication whatsoever of quality. Uh, it doesn't, and you know like I, I feel like it's almost to the point now where where people edit movies to make them two plus hours because there's a certain assumption of quality that comes with it if you go over two <laughs> hours, especially if you start pushing toward two and a half. A movie should be as long slash short as it needs to be in order to tell the story that it's telling. And this is one where they don't linger on things. They tell exactly the story they want to tell as efficiently as they can tell it. And it it works for me. Like it, this movie, just it just moves straight through. And I, I think the scenes, most of the scenes, I, I can have some quibbles and, and nitpicks on some certain things. And I, I talked about with you know some of the criticism of the Shriek. And I, I don't think... Cletus Cassidy is as engaging of an antagonist or Carnage was as engaging of an antagonist as mm-hmm. he could have been. I, I don't think they maximized Carnage in this one. Sorry, everybody. Um, oh my I God. don't think they did that. I shouldn't say sorry because I totally did it on purpose. But yeah. I, I don't think they achieved that with, with Carnage. But the movie is mainly about Venom and the mm-hmm. strength of the movie was Venom and they did a good job with that. So I, I wouldn't call this as complete of an experience as it, as it could have been. Nevertheless, like Carnage was still decent and entertaining as an antagonist, and really all of this set up um, some some pretty good stuff between Venom and Eddie Brock. To me, I was surprised how funny this movie was. I was laughing out loud. Chris and I, Sean, I got to tell you, we were we were rolling in at some parts. What's so what's so surprising about it was again the first movie had elements of that, but everyone around Venom. And, and Eddie were so serious. Yes. And now, but now, um, you know, Michelle, oh my God, Fred, Michelle Fred, Williams. Fred, yes. That, Michelle, that's such a key point. Like she was in on the joke this time and it made a yes. huge difference. And she was much better. It actually felt like she was enjoying herself in this a yes. little bit. Well, yeah. You know, like, okay. The scene where she's talking to the, uh, uh, Venom as the, uh, as Mrs. As Chen. The, Oh my God. Yeah. That was, Oh, I would, I mean, I'm sitting here. I'm like, why are they playing? Like, it's so, it's so dumb, but I'm laughing out loud the entire time. It's just, it's one of those easy, like low hanging fruit, but I'm just going to take it every single time. Like when she starts doing the whole like puppy eyes thing at him and he's like, Mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh my God, this is so dumb, but this is amazing. Like it's, that's, that's when, you know, you've got, a good product, a good, and you have good characters when you do these obvious things that like are so obvious and so dumb and they work. Right. And it's, God, I was laughing that whole part. I was, that might be the funniest part of the movie. Yeah. Well, Michelle Williams as, yeah, Michelle Williams as Anne is one of the highlights of this for me because it it shows what a difference it makes when everybody's in the same movie. That is maybe the biggest, like her performance might be the biggest example of it in this because Tom Hardy, like he's on board with doing the things that, you know, were great about his performance in, in the first film and we're just getting more of it. And as I said, under Andy Serkis' direction, that he just seems to be doing it with even more freedom and, and more enthusiasm than, than ever before. But yeah, Michelle Williams this time, 
so different. And, you know, having an opportunity. Yes, it seems like she's having more fun on the, in this movie than she did before. But I think the difference there is like she gets to be in the same movie and she gets to play it the way that it ought to be played. And, um, you know, and of course, Dr. Dan and, and everybody else, like, it's just really working in this. And, and even before the Mrs. Chen scene, like the dinner scene between yes. Anne and Eddie Brock, like, she's in on that too. Like, you know, am I talking to, you know, am I talking to you? Am I talking to Venom? Like, and even the way that she, like, just likes Venom, I, I think is uh, is really, really cool. And, and, and I think, obviously, she's bonded with Venom since, like, the first movie. But also, like, I think she knows that Venom is, she still cares about Eddie Brock and knows that Venom is good for Eddie. Um, and so, like, there's just, and, and look, all of that is crazy, right? We're talking about like this woman, uh, with her ex being happy for her ex fiance that he has an alien symbiote that's good for him. Like, yes, it's totally bonkers and it, it doesn't really make any sense if you're trying to explain it to somebody who hasn't seen the movies and even maybe some people who have seen the movies, but it's still for me anyway, and, and for you and, and for some, like, it works. It, it it works in its own delightfully weird, cheesy, dark comedy kind of way, and, mm. and and I love this. Like and and look, I love that the Venom movies, you know, win, lose, or draw, and and it was a loss for me in the first one. Win in the second one, so you know, five hundred record for the Venom franchise thus far. But like, win, lose, or draw, this franchise is its own beast, and. You know, like you can't, I can't point to, and, and that was one of my criticisms of the first one is like, I felt like there's a lot of the movie that's trying really hard to be like an early 2000s superhero origin movie. And I don't, I didn't understand why this one isn't trying to do any of that. I mean, it helps that it's not an origin film, but it's also not an early to mid 2000s superhero sequel. This is going full on into its own territory, its own identity, where you say, this is the Venom franchise. And there's nothing else within the superhero realm that's anything like it. You know, even though other franchises have a lot of humor and all of that, they don't have the brand of humor that this one's got. And, you know, the tone of this, the the genre of this is it's totally playing in a space that no other comic book superhero movies are playing in. And, you know, separate conversation of whether or not you actually want this movie or these movies to be playing in that space. But that's the choice that they've made firmly in this movie that they they committed to in this movie in a way that they didn't in the first one. And I think it's the better for it. Like it's I'm not trying to and maybe we're praising this so much that, you know, some people might be wondering, like, well, is this like top tier? Like with this, you put this up against like the very best of the MCU? No, I wouldn't. But it is a solid, well, you know, well-made for the most part. Some dodgy CG bits, uh, of course, to be taken into account. But I think it's a solid, fun, entertaining superhero movie that is doing, mm-hmm. that is, as I said at the top, hitting the mark. It's it's hitting the the target that it's aiming for. And I, I enjoyed it. Like, I, I think there is something that's emotionally grounded in the story in its own crazy way with Eddie Brock and all the other characters are just, you know, are, are there in service of that story. And, and they're doing, you know, a, a very good job of it. Obviously, Michelle Williams as Anne could have beefed up the role of Carnage uh, slash Cletus Cassidy. But also, there's a part of me that that even as I say that, like, I, I almost want to check myself and say, like, get real. Because, like, it's Carnage, dude. Uh, <laughs> like, Carnage mm-hmm, was yeah. never 
the deepest character in the comic books. And um, I, so it's fine. I don't think they did wrong by, by Carnage. I just don't feel like, you know, yeah, there's a little bit that's left on the table here for that character, but it's not so much that it, it ruins anything for me. Um, I, I guess there's maybe something about Woody Harrelson's performance that could have been like as lively as Tom Hardy in his own way. Like I, I felt like Woody Harrelson's performance was a little subdued and, and that some people may not agree with that at all. Cause I'm, it's not like a, a subtle nuanced performance, but I, I felt like Cletus Cassidy is a character that could have, and, and maybe should have been played at, a, at like an 11 instead of an eight. Yeah. I, I, I liked Woody Harrelson. I, I, I think you enjoyed it for the most part, too. It's, it wasn't, like you said, the character itself is a very one-dimensional, crazy person. Um, I, the one thing, you know, I there's there's a couple nitpicks in this movie. I say nitpicks, but one thing that I didn't love was the fact that Carnage and Cletus Cassidy weren't on the same page. Right. And and that's a it's a big reason why they they obviously win or they 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 lose in the end, but well quote unquote he survives you know wink wink nudge nudge right at the end right he's, you know, he just eats yeah okay whatever that's he's such easy to write around but that being said I didn't like the fact that Cletus and him were not on the same page because that's not how it was. In the comic books, and I'm not saying again, this is a movie where even the, the characterizations of Venom and Eddie Brock aren't the same. I feel it's a stronger character, in my opinion, when you when you are on the same page. And by the way, Shriek, I was right. She doesn't use her mouth. It's she has sonic blasts through her hands. Oh, so, there you go. Yeah. So I was right. Because I, I was watching the movie, I'm like, this is off. This is, something seems off of Shriek with me. And that's Whatever. I'm, that's a side point. But I just want to say for the record, I was right. because Maybe they changed it later <laughs> on, but her, she originally had it with her I hand. would just her say hands. it makes way more sense for it to, for her to be shrieking from her mouth I, and her hands. With a name like Shriek, I get it. But anyway, back to Carnage. Um, I do think that's a stronger character, and I know that's the reason why they had that, so they can defeat him in the end. And, and right. it also emphasizes the fact of the why they're able to beat him is because they are stronger together, um, you know, and that whatever. I do hope and I, I do think I didn't love that aspect of the character because I think what, you know, I just think Venom should be able to take out Carnage because he's just a stronger character physically, you know, whatever. But it's fine. I, I dealt with it. Um, Woody Harrelson, I thought, did a fine job. He, I thought, you know, he would do a better job maybe, but he did a fine job. It, it was it's about what I expected. I I did think he'd turn it up a little bit more, but at that point, maybe you're upstaging the the, the hero, and that's what they didn't want, maybe because it's Tom Hardy's movie. Perhaps I don't know. That's something to think about too. Well, I think it was just more of the choice of the easy thing to do is dial this guy all the way up, and maybe it it helps if we do something a little unexpected, and and we do downplay it a bit and that's again not to say that Woody Harrelson's Cletus Cassidy is a low energy character he is not um I just think there was you know maybe a, a notch or two that that could have been turned up but um as far as the the power level of Carnage like I thought was pretty good and and I, I know I criticized the the look of Carnage earlier most of it looks good. The stuff where it doesn't look as good, it's just when he has like the long tentacles, like during the prison escape 
and everything like when those things are flying around like they don't look real uh they don't look as real as and i mean look obviously a lot of the stuff is cg or all of the stuff for symbiotes is cg but I was, you know, visually taken out of it a bit by some of the stuff with Carnage when he had more of those tentacles flailing around and, and whatever else that just like these don't look as real as like his face and the rest of his body. Um, there's like a huge discrepancy between like the quality of the CG or how well it's holding up for me anyway. And um, so some of that I was not necessarily a huge fan of like. Venom, I thought, was more consistent. Like, when Venom would, you know, expand his arm or, or whatever, stretch out, like, I, I felt like I was still seeing the same symbiote and the same quality of the CG. Didn't always feel that way uh, for Carnage. But as far as the choice for, like, how to kind of resolve things, I like it because it fits in with the theme of this movie. Like, it is the strength of, like, because it, it's the question mark right throughout this of, like, the bond between... Eddie Brock and Venom, and them being a, a perfect match. It's kind of treated as uh, a, a negative, right? And throughout a lot of the story, because it, it's treated as something neither one of them wants or wants to acknowledge. I don't need you. I don't need you. You know, let's go. We're going to go in our different directions. And they literally do that in this movie. And then they come back together. But even when they come back together, it's more out of the necessity of the moment as opposed to both of them really fully realizing and embracing this symbiotic, uh, the symbiotic relationship that the two of them have and, and viewing it as a positive. They're not quite there yet. Then they do during the final battle. And, and part of the reason, uh, part of what allows them to come to that realization is seeing how that is, uh, that could be the downfall of Cletus Cassidy and Carnage is that they are not uh, as good of a match as Eddie Brock and, and Venomar. So I, I, I understand what you're saying of like, you know, that doesn't necessarily need to be the weakness of Carnage for Venom to be able to beat him. But in order in order to be consistent with the theme, the emotional theme of the story for our main character like that, it totally fits. And so I'm happy yeah, with that. Uh, I'm happy with that match. I think the part of the final battle that uh, I was having some trouble with is like, as I said earlier, you have Shriek who's like kidnapping Anne and, and being all menacing and all of this stuff. And then, like, out of nowhere during the final battle when Carnage has grabbed Anne and is, like, going to, like, kill her and, and make Eddie and Venom watch, then she's like, this is too far. I'm like, based on what? Like, where is this coming from, like, with you? I don't understand. And she also doesn't even really continue objecting to that. Like, she makes that point. But then, like, she goes back to being sort of menacing and evil. Um, like, I, I don't really know. And, and it felt like they were setting something else up. Like, they were setting up the idea that, Obviously, her powers are a problem for the symbiotes, and that would be a problem, mm -hmm. I mean, for Venom, but obviously a big problem for Carnage, and I thought she would play a larger role in maybe the downfall of Carnage than she ultimately did, which I don't know if it would have been like as satisfying as a viewer, because I, I really care more about Venom and Eddie beating uh, Cletus and, and Carnage than, than Shriek being involved, but it seemed like they were setting that up, and then they just didn't really ultimately go anywhere with it like she played a factor in the final battle because like you know obviously her her powers you know cause vulnerabilities with uh you know with the symbiotes but so was the bell you know the, the huge church bell so even that like you could have taken her out of the scene and a lot of it ends up playing out exactly the same way so that part i was you know that that just felt unnecessary like i her it seemed like in, a, in some way she like she was kind of the you know, the lightning rod for showing the the different, like, this is how we're going to show 
that Cletus Cassidy and Carnage aren't on the same page as, as Cletus is in love with her and Carnage hates her because of her powers. Like, uh, okay. Um, like it, it did a, I guess a decent enough job illustrating that, but there's other stuff with that character that were just kind of inconsistent, uh, in, in ways that, you know, didn't feel intentional. Like they just, you know, they just were, uh, within the movie that I, I didn't totally love. I also like, I'm, I'm curious what you thought about uh, Stephen Graham, Paul, who was Detective Mulligan. I'm a fan of Stephen Graham, who's yes. been you know really good actor. I've seen him in lots of things like Boardwalk Empire. Yes. And mm-hmm. um, I, I've always thought he was a really good actor. He's also somebody like I always thought would have like a big part in these movies eventually, and it hasn't necessarily come to fruition. But he plays Patty Mulligan in this. And uh, in the comic books, Patty Mulligan becomes son of Carnage, and they seem to have set that up at the mm-hmm. very end of this. I don't love that for the future of this franchise, and, and I that's something I feel they could totally skip. We have had mm-hmm. Venom versus a symbiote in the first film, and now Venom versus the coolest symbiote that he's going to be able to fight in Carnage in the second film. If we have another Venom solo movie, which based on the financial performance of this one seems like a pretty safe bet, mm-hmm. assuming we get another Venom solo movie, I don't need to see Venom versus any more symbiotes. Like, give him other antagonists to fight, whether that's Spider-Man yeah. or whoever the hell else. I am not interested in, in Venom versus Son of Carnage. I will 100% agree with you. And I, I, I you knew they are going to hit at something because they introduced the character and they, they have him a big reason uh, he's in the movie. Uh, you know, he's tied to both Venom and, or to all three, obviously. The one thing I would say is that Toxin's more of an anti-hero like Venom than he is more, more like Carnage. So there is that to kind of think about. That, that's a possibility that you don't have to maybe worry about that aspect. Um, I, like you, I kind of think that there's, there, I would like to see Venom take on more than just a, a symbiote um but yeah, carnage survives for a reason shriek doesn't as far as we know that's kind of a bummer well carnage doesn't um, survive i mean well carnage has been eaten so i mean well easy yeah, to like, come like back said, um yeah. could, well i would say there there's a good chance shriek is still alive like the bell fell on her but you could say that she land that it landed with her in the middle section of the bell that she didn't actually get crushed yeah that, that's true that's true i don't think it's going to be toxin versus um, Venom necessarily yeah. if they go that route. Um, Toxin looks a lot like Carnage to be yep. quite honest. Um, that's what another problem I think you could fall into. I don't think it's going to be like that in the movie if they do that, but I'm with you. I don't want a Venom versus Symbiote franchise. That's all it is. Let's, let's, let's mix it up. And I think with the addition of this post credit scene, not Every, and I don't mean that to hint at like what could happen as you know verbatim, but I think it opens up the doors of Venom taking on more than just a plain old symbiotes, and that makes me a little bit more happy for that in that aspect. Right. Um. So that that's what I'd go. I'd go. I'd leave it there for now until we get to that point. So I do think there is more for Venom other than symbiotes, and I like you, Sean. I don't want him to take on Toxin. I don't want Toxin to be a character that's like a major part, like to be an antagonist and then like, it be a team up uh, team up. Yes. Antagonist at one point. No, let's keep, let's get the symbiotes out of here. Like you yeah. said, unless you're taking on carnage again, in addition to something else. 
Yeah. But other it, than that, no, I'm good. Even symbiotes, I'm like, just let's, you know, I'm with you. Let let's mm-hmm. pump the brakes a bit. We've we've used them a lot in the first two movies. Let's take a break and let Venom be the only one for a minute, and let's put our focus elsewhere. Because as you as you hinted at, I mean, I, I mentioned the whole Venom versus Spider Man thing, but look, you start throwing around the multiverse, and that could. Uh, launch more characters into Venom's world or launch him into their worlds that are not are Spider-Man related, but not Spider-Man, you know, spider mm-hmm. other Spider-Man antagonists and things like that, that have nothing to do with symbiotes and, and stuff like that. I, I think it's just worth pumping the brakes on that for a bit. Not because like I, I have this problem with symbiotes. It's just, we've been very symbiote heavy for the first two movies. Uh, obviously we'll, we'll always have at least one because we're, we're talking about Venom and he is one of them. Um, but other than that, like, I, I think we're good. I, I think that's enough and, and that we can, mm-hmm. you know, move on from this for now. And then, you know, yes. hey, if it, if it sticks around long enough, then we can circle back to it. Um, mm-hmm. So trying to think if there's anything else that I, I want to cover before we start talking a little bit about the mid credit scene. It is going to be an entire podcast all, all to itself. Um, yes. I, I will say that uh, you might be tempted to buy a Sony television after watching this movie because they talk this no is kidding. Sony and they talk about Eddie's Sony TV a lot. Uh, so that's uh, yeah, fine. Whatever. Yeah, I don't. Whatever. I don't. I don't care. I was fine with it when he said like that's a two thousand dollar TV and then it got thrown out the window. But then when Mulligan comes in and says nice TV, I was like, oh geez, okay. Um, anyway, yeah, Sony sell sell all the TVs you want. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I guess we'll 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 start with the mid credit scene and then we'll, you know, do some overall thoughts here. And, you know, as I said, we will expand on the idea yes. of the mid credit scene. But uh, yeah, Venom and Eddie Brock, they got to go away. They're both wanted at this point after, of course, they've taken out Carnage. And so uh, before the credits, we leave with the two of them on a beach and then mid credit scene. We catch up with them in a hotel or motel room watching a novella that they are both very, very invested in. And then all of this, and Venom is talking about, he's about to explain to Eddie some of like the history that symbiotes are privy to, which he mentions universes plural when he says that. So he's about to fill Eddie in on some information and then some weirdness happens. And, and this wasn't what Venom was doing to educate Eddie because Venom is quickly is quick to shout out like what the hell is happening. And they seem to have been transported there in a much, much nicer hotel room all of a sudden and a, a room that's not theirs as we find out uh, at the end of it. And on TV, we see JK Simmons daily bugle report. And it's the same one that we were looking at. It's the same style from Spider-Man Far From Home. The Daily Bugle was present throughout this movie, but it was more of the Daily Bugle, like the newspaper and the classic like red that we're used to seeing, like not the green and, and gray or silver motif that J. Jonah Jameson is using in the MCU. And then uh, if J.K. Simmons isn't enough, then they show uh, Tom Holland's Spider-Man, and it is Tom Holland as Peter Parker uh, right mm-hmm. there on the screen. And Venom just says that guy and uh, and licks the screen. And um, as far as what this means, I mean, it, it almost feels like whatever spell Doctor Strange is casting in No Way Home that Spider-Man helps mess up. Like, is that what brought them into this? It, it seems like it, but maybe it's something else. I don't know. They've been transported somehow. And now it's it's matching up with the MCU. 
And I, I think we'll we'll touch briefly upon the implications for the MCU, but that's really going to be more of its own show. Yes. But what I, I think is interesting from a more specific character perspective, whether we're talking about a Venom appearance in No Way Home or a Spider-Man appearance in Venom 3 or both or something else, whatever it is, the fact that they had Venom seemingly recognize Peter Parker slash Spider-Man after he just mentioned having the knowledge of universes, plural, mm-hmm. I feel like this is the shortcut, which you can argue whether or not they should use a shortcut, um, but this is the shortcut that gives them a history between Venom and Spider-Man that has not been showcased in these movies. And, you know, that that seems to be what it's like for, like, because you can certainly say, well, there's no... There's no history. There's no beef between Eddie Brock and Venom in the MCU, and that's true. So mm-hmm. how can they go ahead and get one? Well, they can have Venom play off of knowledge that that he has that that maybe we don't, which you can certainly question whether or not that will be satisfying for us as viewers, but I'll, I'll leave that for however they, they decide to you know execute it later on. But it, it seems like it's not just about getting uh, Venom in there to set up a first meeting. It seems like there's also a function here of, of providing a, a shortcut to some history. Yeah, this was, I mean, it's going to be hard for me not to go off. So I'm going to save, be very light. All right, audience. And we'll save the meaty stuff for the, the, the other episode. Um, I'm with you. There was some really fun setup with this, with the whole, you know, your tiny brain will comprehend what I can do. You know, I'll just give you a fraction. Mm-hmm. You know, I love that. That was that was great. Um, God, I love Venom and Eddie of them talking to each other. Um, so I love that. I love the fact that they're setting up. You know, I mean, obviously Donnie Cates just um, just put out a huge, you know, opus of Venom stories that they could, you know, mine from, and that could also hint at what they're talking about here. But like you said, Sean, there could be hinting of what this whole thing is. As we see, there is, you know, the Daily Bugle, that version of the of the Daily Bugle. And we have, you know, Peter Parker. We see, you know, Tom Holland as Spider-Man and Venom react to that. Um, it's there's a lot going on here. It, it's a lot of fun, a lot of speculation. Um, for me, just on the surface level, I'm going to say that this is really exciting because it's it's finally Kevin Feige and Sony playing nice with each other and, and us give, g- giving us something that, you know, we all kind of thought they would maybe do, but obviously with the first film, they're like, nope, 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 nope. And it's like, well, we told you it's not, they're all, they're all connected and, and they're not, but like you said, they've got a shortcut, something happens. What does that mean? But it also just pretty much means that like Sony and Marvel are figuring things out how to play nice for now. And, they are, it's it's a kind of a copacetic relationship. And I think it only behooves both of them to work together to enhance things. And, and maybe it makes more sense for Sony to work with Disney and vice versa. But Spider-Man's, you know, obviously, you know, is the most recognizable superhero, arguably, in the world. So um, it behooves them to use you know, Spider-Man too. So uh, to me, it, it's a great introduction to show that they're, they're playing nice together and there is plans for some something, which we'll get to in the meat of this in the next episode, that what this could entail. And I think that it's great. It was a, it was a really fun thing to sh- the show. Um, I can't wait to dive into what this all could mean for Venom and, and obviously with the history. And where exactly, you know, one thing I will say this too, Sean, what universe does Venom live in? Right. And 
that to me is also really telling because was Daily Bugle. I don't remember again. I don't remember if Daily Bugle is a part of this in uh, the first movie, but it's all over in the first, you know, in the second movie. Like mm-hmm. I'm like, oh man, Daily Bugle. They're, they're putting it right out there. Like this, the Daily Bugle exists in this universe. And I want to say I remember someone saying um, on like YouTube or something like that. And you know, I don't want to say all YouTubers are you know viable, but there were rumors or something like that that like Venom existed in the uh, ASM universe. Um, so I thought that was interesting. I'm like, okay, okay. So there's a lot you could go with this, and like we'll get more into in, in the, into this meat of this in, in the next episode. But mm-hmm. it kind of entails to me like what universe does this exist in? And does that exist in the Morbius universe and into the Craven universe that we're going to get from Sony? Like, what yeah. does this mean? I want to say the same Daily Bugle that exists in Venom's universe exists in the Morbius universe. And and also, by the way, like the style guide for this Daily Bugle, not the new one that we see in the mid credit scene, but throughout most of the movie, right. it looks a lot like actually the Sam Raimi Spider-Man universe to okay. an extent. Like it, although that universe, it can't quite be that universe because that one had its own Venom, right? So, mm, right. Um, and, and by the way, like, I, I don't think when they, you know, just to hint at that whole idea of, a, you know, the history between Venom and, and Spider-Man that they seem to be sort of establishing here is, you know, it's not saying that Venom remembers Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Obviously, yeah. he doesn't like that. Spider-Man hasn't come up against the Venom yet, um, but other Spider-Mans and other universes have. And so if that's part of this infinite knowledge across universes, that the symbiotes have in, in this hive mind that Venom can tap into, then, you know, that establishes some rivalry, which, you know, in some ways kind of makes sense because the rivalry felt more, you know, more one-sided in that it was all about Venom having anger toward Peter Parker and Spider-Man and not so much Peter Parker and Spider-Man having that same contempt. Um, mm-hmm. So whatever, I, you know, we'll get deeper into that in the next episode of the podcast. So, um, and, and that's coming very soon. So we're not trying to like tease something that's not going to be out for like three weeks. Right. So it'll, it'll no. be out soon it's after coming. this episode is up. So more conversation to be had on that. Um, finishing up with this movie overall, you know, there was a, a little bit of a, a topic that I, I teased earlier in this and in that in, in looking at a movie like Venom, let there be carnage. I, I think there's a, a different questions that you kind of look at to assess or evaluate this movie. I mean, one is just, did you enjoy watching it? Like if, if the answer to that is no, then it doesn't really matter why you didn't. But in just exploring this a, a little bit, like I, I do think that there is some dissatisfaction with this movie. And then these movies collectively with the franchise in evaluating them based on, what they're trying to be or, or almost based on the idea that they shouldn't be trying to be this. They should be trying to be something else, um, whether that's more akin to the MCU or more akin to what whatever idea someone might have in their head for this character in, in the comic books and in, in the mo- in the type of movie that would best serve these characters. And, you know, it, it's fine if that's the way you want to evaluate it, but and I, I certainly understand that. It's not like I don't have ideas about how certain characters should be portrayed when they're adapted from comic books to animation or to live action movies or series. So I, I understand where that comes from and I, I'm not trying to invalidate it at all. I also just think that there's something to be said for evaluate. I mean, you can evaluate what the movie 
should be, but there's also evaluating the movie based on what it's trying to be. And, you know, whether or not a movie is succeeding in the way that as much as we can perceive, you know, the author's intent might be, and, and the authors, I would say, it's a collective here of Andy Serkis, Tom Hardy, Kelly Marshall, everybody else, you know, creatively involved in this, all actually this time being on the same page. And I like what this franchise is going for. I don't think it hit mm -hmm. that mark with the first movie because I don't think they discovered it until later in the process and not everybody agreed throughout that process of what it should be. But this time, everybody went in knowing what is knowing what is entertaining about this franchise, knowing what audiences connect with within this franchise, understanding that and expanding on that. And I think Venom, Let There Be Carnage, hit that mark. I, I think it did a very, very good job of it. And I don't want to oversimplify the conversation as is so often the case of like, well, where does it rank in this and that? You guys know I, I don't rank movies immediately after seeing them anyway. And it's kind of irrelevant to the conversation. And I think we can graduate to another level of this sort of thing of not just uh, reducing everything to where does it rank in, in the overall pantheon of comic book based movies. Just what is this movie trying to do? And, you know, this movie is trying to entertain you as a B-movie horror comedy with a lot of cheese and a lot of camp. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think it does those things very, very well. And so I, I really liked Venom, Let There Be Carnage. And when I praise it for what it's trying to be, that's not a way to say like, oh, just, you know, give it qualified praise. It's not qualified praise to say a movie is succeeding at exactly what it's trying to be. Um, I, I think it's... I think Venom Let There Be Carnage is a good, entertaining movie that I really enjoyed. And unlike the first movie, like this is one that I will be ex uh, I will be genuinely excited to watch again. Yeah, no, this is a, a a great addition to Venom. I like the first movie because it's it's so ridiculous. And again, I ironically is definitely one reason why I liked it, but. Um, this is a, a much better written movie, a lot of fun. I loved uh, Tom Hardy's performance in this movie. Venom looks great. Um, I thought it was great seeing Carnage on screen for the, you know, I thought Harrelson did a, a, a fine job as you know, Carnage, Cletus Cassidy. So I got what I wanted out of it. It was way more entertaining than I was anticipating. And I think it only bodes well for. I think the characterization of Venom uh, going forward, and I think the adventures of Tom Hardy, you know, in in the future as well. I mean, I'm, I I love Tom Hardy as Venom, straight up love him. He's great, so I can't wait to see more of him. And I think this only, the success of this movie, and I think the the mid credit scene, I think only solidifies what we're gonna see uh, going forward with uh, Tom Hardy and Venom. I think so too. And we will talk a lot more about that in the very next episode of MCU Fan Show. But that is it for this episode of the MCU Fan Show. So remember, you can get even more podcasts from us if you go with Fan Show Plus, available to premium subscribers, patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, or you can find it on Apple Podcasts, whether you just search for Fan Show Plus or you search for the MCU Fan Show channel on Apple Podcasts, you can find the premium subscription so you can get access to those fan show plus episodes which do include our uh, although that one's free you can anybody can access that our no way home trailer breakdown which might be even more relevant these days uh, after venom let there be carnage but we'll talk about that in another episode 
of uh, MCU Fan Show. Make sure you're following us in those places you can at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And remember to, uh, if I could talk, remember please to leave us a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. Paul, where can all of these fine people find you? Find me on Twitter at Hermer22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, please follow my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. And uh, please like and uh, subscribe there. It'd be great. Thank you. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We will see you again very, very soon.